from the studios of Postscript Media and Canary Media. So this show is all about the structural forces, the political, economic, social forces that are making climate change worse or potentially improving the problem. And you can't really talk about the problem or how to break those structural forces without talking about how people are going to take the energy transition into their own hands. And this week, our friends at Canary Media are running a special series on that theme. It's called Power by the People. And it's about all the ways that communities across the country are taking control of the energy transition and climate solutions. I recommend you head over to their website, check out some of their stories. Today, we're bringing you one of those stories, and our producer, Alexandria Herr, got to go see it in person. I'm going to pass it over to her. Hey, Alexandria. Hey, Stephen. So last week, I got on the train, and I went to Sunset Park, Brooklyn. And when I was there, I got a little peek into the future. And by that, I mean our renewable energy future. Mm, I'm intrigued. So we are standing in this kind of abandoned parking lot. We're looking out on this chain link fence and behind it is just a bunch of concrete and some cranes and a bunch of weeds. Um, And ahead of that, you can see the water and the Statue of Liberty in the distance. So that's the future, huh? So abandoned parking lots, cranes, weeds... Well, okay, it requires a little bit of imagination. Right now, this future that I'm talking about is basically just a big empty lot of concrete wedged between a West Elm outlet, a Costco, and the upper New York Bay. So can you tell me what we're looking at? Yes, this 73 acres of splendor is the South Brooklyn (laughs) Marine Terminal. And it used to be um, a hub for unloading and gathering cargo. There was a period when this was one of the biggest cocoa bean importing sites in the country. And since the 90s, though, it's kind of, uh, the activity has gone away. It's mostly just sat empty for a pretty long time. That is a voice that I recognize. Yeah, you're hearing Canary journalist Maria Gallucci. She's been on the show a couple times before. And in just a few years, this stretch of concrete that we were looking at, it's going to look pretty different. This is where, um, in a couple years, the Norwegian energy giant Equinor is going to start building um, a facility for assembling and storing offshore wind turbines that will go uh, to serve its projects in the Atlantic Ocean. So in the renderings that um, Equinor has produced, you see big towers and pieces of blades and the hubs just kind of stacked along the concrete. Maria wrote a piece for Canary about this project. By 2024, this lot is going to be filled with pieces of those offshore wind turbines. These turbines are going to be shipped from Europe, stored, assembled, and repaired right here in Sunset Park before they're installed off the coast of Long Island and New England into massive offshore wind developments. That's a pretty big deal because right now, the U.S. only has seven offshore wind turbines total. That's just a tiny sliver, only 0.1% of the offshore wind generated globally. Yeah, this is a big deal economically. There's a lot of offshore wind development that's coming for the U.S. right now and a lot of foreign companies that are eyeing the potential booming U.S. market. And it's a big deal because it's taken forever just to get these seven offshore wind turbines in the water off the coast of Rhode Island. It's been over 20 years of legal battles and fighting around the Cape Wind project that ultimately was scrapped and then new government rules to speed up permitting. And finally, you have all this stuff coming together, and the biggest corporations in the world are saying, it looks like the waters off the U.S. coast are ready for offshore wind development. So it's a pretty exciting time. 
New York State really recognizes this because they've set a goal of meeting 30% of their electricity demand with offshore wind by 2035. That's a pretty big deal to go from almost nothing to 30%. And the facility that's going to be built in Sunset Park is going to supply projects that are going to be contributing to that number, that 30% electricity generation by offshore wind. These projects would be among the first for New York, and they'd be among the first for the United States. It's important that this project is coming to Sunset Park specifically. Sunset Park is a multiracial working-class neighborhood with thriving immigrant communities. Throughout its history, however, the neighborhood has had to deal with higher-than-average pollution coming from multiple environmental justice problems, including pollution from a cement factory, a peaker power plant, and heavy truck traffic coming from the Brooklyn-Queens Expressway. I can hear some of the heavy truck traffic that you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, it's basically the only thing you can hear at this point. This is 3rd Avenue, uh, and above, directly above 3rd Avenue is the Brooklyn-Queens Expressway. It didn't always used to be here. It kind of was quite controversially put in place, and it cut the neighborhood off from its industrial waterfront and the residential section, and in between put this corridor of kind of heavily polluting truck traffic, car traffic. So here we are again at environmental justice. And this is a topic that we talk a lot about on the show because there are so many communities around the U.S. that are adjacent to fossil fuel infrastructure or that have seen a lack of investment in their local infrastructure. And climate solutions are potentially a very powerful way to reverse some of those injustices. For leaders in the neighborhood, the Waterfront Offshore Wind Project offers a pathway towards a green industrial future and workforce development. Kind of a win-win. I think for um, a lot of folks in Sunset Park, the goal is that the waterfront will become a green industrial waterfront, that it will bring jobs to the community, not just New York, but specifically Sunset Park, kind of the people who have been dealing with the, the pollution from other facilities, that they would benefit from this sort of cleaner, improved version of industry. This is The Carbon Copy. I'm Stephen Lacey. And I'm Alexandria Herr. This week, how communities that have borne the burden of industrial pollution can lead the green industries of the future, and how Sunset Park is setting the model. The entire solar industry rests, both literally and figuratively, on a vulnerable material. That material is aluminum. It is one of the most carbon-intensive metals, with the bulk of its supply originating in China. But what if module frames made from domestic recycled steel replaced it? On May 30th, Latitude Media and Origami Solar will host a frontier forum that explores what would happen if the U.S. solar industry shifted from aluminum to recycled steel. We'll explore the impact on supply chains, costs, technical performance, and carbon emissions. This is a must-attend for anyone who cares about the domestic solar industry. Register for free by clicking the link in the show notes or go to latitudemedia.com events. So I'm wondering a little bit about how this project came to be. I know that Equinor is coming and collaborating with people in Sunset Park and the community. And how did that partnership come to be? How did it how did it start? So for decades, the swath of the Sunset Park waterfront has been idle and community groups have really been thinking about how they could revitalize it to bring jobs into the community and also kind of reduce emissions and, and advance clean energy. And 
And so they started creating visions for what this this green waterfront could look like. So the community is really pushing for this this green industrial waterfront. At the same time, the city is looking at ways to increase economic activity and bring jobs into New York City. So these efforts are kind of happening in tandem. And then a few years later, New York state officials launched this really big vision for developing renewable energy in the state, including with offshore wind. And that sort of planted the seed or kind of got conversations going around, okay, if if New York state wants to bring offshore wind to its waters, where are parts along the waterfront that could kind of service this upcoming industry? And so you see groups like Uprose, city officials, city council members kind of starting to talk and collaborate and seeking proposals or or getting attention from offshore wind developers like Equinor, who are saying, hey, we want to build projects in the state. We want to use this waterfront for those projects. You mentioned this organization called Uprose a couple of times, and I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about their involvement in this project and also like sort of what the hopes of, you know, both environmental justice activists in the community and also the community at large is for this project. Sure. So Uprose has been a leading organization in the community since the 1960s. Uprose and other grassroots groups, what they don't want to see is um, have foreign companies like Equinor, like BP, come into the community and kind of do their own thing. What they really want is to have a say in how this project unfolds, how the companies work with the local community to train and hire people locally, to source supplies from local businesses. The Sunset Park waterfront really belonged to the community, and they want to keep it that way. They don't want to kind of see this part of the neighborhood to more industries that pollute or more commercial developments that exclude the residents who already live here. You wrote a little bit in your piece about how the hope is that Sunset Park residents would be the one that would directly benefit from these jobs. So could you tell me a little bit about that sort of workforce development, job development aspect, and how the Sunset Park Task Force has sort of evolved to enable that? Sure. So kind of the the first leg of the effort or the fight to transform the waterfront was to get a green manufacturer um, to have a project like this offshore wind terminal on the waterfront. And then the second or kind of the continuation of that is to make sure that those jobs are going to people who live nearby and who maybe have suffered the negative effects of the past industries that, that have been on the waterfront. So the Sunset Park Task Force includes grassroots groups like Uprose, it includes city officials, it includes business leaders who are all kind of thinking about offshore wind is is new to all of the United States and, and including New York City. So given that we don't really have the skills yet for this these types of jobs, how can we start training people, teaching people, making them aware of offshore wind positions? How can we start working with local businesses, you know, if we're going to need certain supplies, we're going to need um, certain services. Can we get that from the shops that are already around the terminal rather than looking elsewhere in the city or, you know, beyond uh, other parts of the country? So city council member Alexa Aviles, she told me the community that's borne the brunt of environmental racism should be the ones who get kind of the first benefits from this offshore wind hub. So that's really kind of why there's this big push to develop jobs, um, start training people in Sunset Park. And so in terms of the kind of jobs that might be available once 
this project starts to take off, what what do they look like? What are the kind of roles that community members might be able to participate in in the coming years? So our governor has said that the, the offshore wind hub in Sunset Park could create about 1,200 jobs locally. I think a lot of those will initially be construction-related, kind of setting up the facility, and then long-term, about 200 jobs uh, related to operating the site. So that includes importing, storing, maintaining offshore wind parts, but also operating vessels uh, and operating sort of the shipping activity that's required to take those pieces out to sea. And it's interesting because these are jobs that, I mean, construction jobs, sure, we have those, but in terms of assembling wind turbines out at sea, these are sort of jobs that we don't really have experience with in the United States. And companies like Equinor do, they're, they're already developing projects in Europe. So that's sort of an expertise that they're bringing to Brooklyn. And then the goal is that Brooklyn residents, Sunset Park residents specifically, can be among kind of the first in the country to take those roles here. I'm curious if we could talk a little bit about like the situation of this offshore wind project in the larger context of USA and New York offshore wind. And I mean, I know that you wrote in your article that this project is kind of a push in New York State to build offshore wind capacity enough to supply 30% of the state's total electricity needs, and also that um, currently less than 0.1% of all offshore wind globally is off the coast of the U.S. So can you talk a little bit about how this project fits in with that and what it means for people in Sunset Park to be kind of among the first to be involved in this booming industry? Yeah, so the U.S. offshore wind industry has sort of been on the cusp of finally breaking out for more than a decade. There's been a lot of opposition to projects um, from people who live, potentially would live within sight of turbines or will have uh, cables kind of coming from the offshore wind projects through their communities to substations. There have been regulatory hurdles um, that have stalled offshore wind development. But I think right now what you're seeing is that that projects are finally starting to move forward. And a lot of that's because the states themselves want to invest in renewable energy development. And in a place like New York or along the U.S. East Coast, you don't really have a lot of space to build large-scale renewable energy projects because because these cities are so dense. So really what the ocean represents is this massive opportunity to build renewable energy projects that can supply electricity to tens of millions of people. So New York State has set a goal of building nine gigawatts of offshore wind capacity by 2035, uh, which would be enough to supply about 30% of the state's electricity needs. And Equinor has two large projects in the works. It has the 2.1 gigawatt Empire Wind Project, which would be built near Long Island, and the 1.2 gigawatt Beacon Wind Project, which would be built off the coast of New England, but supply electricity to New York State. These projects are kind of coming through the pipeline, and as they're getting closer to actually putting steel in the water, so to speak, those companies are starting to set up the facilities or think about where they're going to put the facilities that will be able to supply those projects. So together, these two projects by Equinor represent a third of that total 9-gigawatt goal. Right. These would be massive developments, and they would be among the first. I mean, right now, the United States has seven turbines total, representing 42 megawatts worth of offshore wind capacity. Worldwide, there's more than 56,000 megawatts of offshore wind capacity. So we're talking about going from almost nothing to this kind of massive capacity build-out in the next decade. 
Mark your calendars for May 30th at 1 p.m. Eastern. That's when Latitude Media and Origami Solar will unveil new research on how recycled steel can help reinvigorate the U.S. solar industry. Why recycled steel? Well, the solar industry is dependent on imported aluminum for frames, leaving it vulnerable to geopolitics, supply disruptions, and higher-cost transportation. By switching from aluminum to recycled steel, solar producers can reduce greenhouse gas emissions and qualify for IRA domestic content incentives. Have questions about the shift to steel and the impact on supply chains? Join Latitude Media's Stephen Lacey, Origami Solar CEO Greg Patterson, and American Clean Power's MJ Shao for this live virtual event. Again, it's May 30th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Register for free at latitudemedia.com slash events or click the link in the show notes. I'm curious about this kind of tension that you mentioned earlier about Sunset Park has for a long time been an industrial area and a lot of the communities here have suffered sort of the brunt of the environmental justice consequences and pollution consequences of the industries in this region. And I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about this tension between um, that sort of industrial history and, and some of the impacts and like this hope of, you know, what a renewable energy future could mean for this area. What's been really interesting for me to learn is sort of this desire to among uh, the community or, or member, certain parts of the community to keep the waterfront industrial, even though existing facilities like the cement factory or the, the fossil fuel-fired peaker power plants, even though those contribute to pollution in the neighborhood, there's this desire to keep the waterfront industrial, but to do it differently, right? To bring industries that contribute to clean energy development locally and kind of globally, right? They're addressing climate change at a broader global scale, um, but they're also helping to build resilience and reduce emissions locally as well. Sunset Park's residents, they want cleaner air, they want better jobs for themselves, but they also want to participate. They want to sort of be part of this larger transition toward clean energy. And I think for Sunset Park residents, it's important that they be not just a host to it, that not just have companies come and, and build their sites here, but they actually participate in it and sort of benefit directly from it in this clean energy transition. I'm curious, you used this term earlier called, you said, I think, green industrial waterfront. And can you talk a little bit more about like what that means and what that future might look like? So the, the idea of a green industrial waterfront is one that is a, a working waterfront, right? So there you might have factories or assembly hubs or kind of these industrial jobs versus right retail shops or shopping districts or or condominiums the activity that's going on is to manufacture solar panels or wind turbines or or at least assemble those components and and to not only make and build things but also the way that the waterfront is shaped is is green in the sense that maybe you're building um, artificial reefs, uh, restoring wetlands to absorb sea level rise and storm surge and kind of adapt to these changes that are coming to the community um, because of global warming. Also, maybe building rooftop solar arrays and community gardens on the site as well. So it's not just sort of kept behind these chain link fences, but that it's also it's also a way for the community to en engage locally uh, in these kind of renewable, resilient efforts too. And so when you talk to, to, you know, environmental justice advocates and local city and state representatives about this project, like what did they have to say about their kind of like best case scenario hopes for what this project could bring to the community? 
think for folks in the community, the the best case scenario is that is that an offshore wind hub it comes to their neighborhood, and people who live here are able to work there and not just work there, but have you know well-paying jobs. Many people would like to see those be union jobs. Right, so this kind of revitalizes the neighborhood in a way that doesn't exclude them, that doesn't crowd out existing residents. So I think they would really like to see this project breathe new life into the community and also do so without exacerbating pollution. Groups I talked to, the New York City Environmental Justice Alliance, they say they want to work on two fronts, right? Clean up the existing pollution. That doesn't necessarily mean get rid of those facilities, but you know, do what you can to reduce pollution and then build new facilities that don't pollute basically make this a better place to live and to work. As more offshore wind projects are built, as the Inflation Reduction Act kind of works to invest in renewable energy and environmental justice communities, there's a real desire that this Sunset Park project can serve as an example for the rest of the country. Alexandria, thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks for bringing us the interview. Yeah, and thanks to Maria Gallucci for taking me around Sunset Park and also for letting us use her nursery as an impromptu recording studio. <laughs> I saw the picture on Twitter. I saw a baby camera in the corner, too. I thought maybe you could just use the baby camera to record it and put it on YouTube or something. Yeah, we did the best with what we had. <laughs> <laughs> That's Alexandria Her. She's a producer with the show. Ann Bailey is our editor. Cecily Mesa Martinez is our managing producer. Sean Marquand and Greg Villefranc are our engineers. Original music came from Echo Finch and Blue Dot Sessions, and our theme music is from Sean Marquand. Postscript Media is supported by Prelude Ventures. Prelude is a venture capital firm that partners with entrepreneurs to address climate across a range of sectors, advanced energy, food and ag, transportation and logistics, advanced materials and manufacturing, and advanced computing, and now media. Give us a rating review on Apple or Spotify. Send us your thoughts on social media and send this show to a friend or colleague if you think they'd like it. Thanks for helping us spread the word and grow the show. I'm Stephen Lacey. This is The Carbon Copy.